I'm really excited about this message series that we're in right now. Last week we talked about, um, you know, laying a, a good foundation and um, making our homes a place where Jesus is at home in the home so we can be part of raising great kids together. And today we're talking about relationships, particularly about marriage. Uh, we're calling this loving your now or future spouse. Frank Sinatra saying that they go together like a horse and carriage because you can't have one without the other, right? Well, that's what we all hope for, whether you're married now or whether you hope to be married one day. I think if we're honest, we've all seen one without the other sometimes, right? But I want you to be really good at loving your spouse wherever you're at in that process. Marriage is the oldest and the original social institution. God invented marriage at the creation of the world. So long before the Ten Commandments, long before Israel's laws, and long before any of that, God set the table of a man and a woman united as one for life, for companionship, for childbearing, and most importantly that we would demonstrate the very image of God to uh, people, male and female, united as one creating unit. Now, I'll be, you know, let's be candid. Not every marriage is great and not every marriage makes it. Maybe you've been married two or three times or or you're a child of divorce or uh, you've got stepkids or step-grandkids or step-siblings in some kind and that's because divorce happens even to good people. It's not planned. It's not intentional. Uh, so I've known, you know, nearly every divorced person will tell you they did not get married with a plan to just kind of hang in there for a few years and then go through all the pain and anguish and difficulty uh, of divorce and all the, the heartache that, that brings. They didn't, wouldn't do that. Now, I would just say, in my own life, but for the grace of God, that could just as easily have been me as well. So there's no judgment or condemnation on that here today. But there are admirable marriages. There really are. Couples who, whether they're 25 or 85 Years of age, they love each other and they serve and they help for each other. They follow Jesus together. They have strong threads of faith and work and play and sexual intimacy all woven back and forth um, through their life together. And I would say that's what I want. That's what I want for myself. That's what I want for every uh, every married couple here, or those of you who will one day be married. That would be my hope and dream and desire uh, for you, even for those who are married and struggling right now, and it's just hard and you just don't feel like you're making it work, my hope and desire that that great marriage be a real, become a reality for you. So what I'm not going to talk about today is communi- you know, communication skills or relationship hacks or steps to, you know, seven steps to, to getting along in conflict. No, we're not going there. There's just tons of resources available. They're online. They're in books. They're in videos. We offer marriage and, and relationship classes here. All those things. I want to go to God's Word today and just with one goal is to say, how do you, how can we love our spouse, whether you have a spouse now or you hope to in the future? Uh, how do we love our spouse together? So we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5 as we look for that. Uh, maybe I can get to can you too make Bibles available um, in the aisles? Thanks so much. If you need a Bible, give them away. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. The page number is there on the screen for that red Bible. And uh, we're going to stand together uh, for the reading of God's Word. 
Let's go ahead and stand. If you've uh, ever attended a wedding ceremony, there's a good chance you heard something at least from this passage shared there. The Apostle Paul's been writing to these Ephesians, talking about how to live together, how to get along with one another, and how to have you know good and pure relationships. And then he picks it up here. We're going to start at verse 21, Ephesians 5, 21. The Apostle Paul writes this. He says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. What a beautiful picture of the church. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but cares, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. Let's be seated together. So we're calling this message, How to Love Your Now or Future Spouse, right? You've been to enough weddings, probably, where you've heard the minister say, love is a decision. Which just sounds so romantic, doesn't it? Yeah, you just got to tough it out and that's what love is. It doesn't sound romantic, but the reality is love is a deliberate choice to seek another person's best. You can love someone you've never even met. You pass someone in the grocery store and something falls off their cart and you you bend down and you pick it up and you say, hey, here, you drop this. That's an act of love. So it's anytime you care for some, the best for someone else, you're showing love. Now, in a marriage relationship, obviously there's a lot more nuance to it than that. And uh, we would say that love is also an emotion, right? So being in love is the greatest feeling, I think. It's the greatest feeling in the world. It's exciting. I remember when Becky and I were, were dating and we lived in different cities and so... Uh, that, that, that was back in the day when, I don't know, some of you are old enough to remember when like making a long distance phone call was a costly venture. You actually had to think about making a long distance phone call. But I worked at a radio station where we had a, a, a trunk line to Vancouver and so we could, I could just, we could talk for hours in the middle of the night. I'd be finishing my shift at midnight and we would talk and talk. I cannot believe we did that. You know, she will, you know how long our phone conversations are now? Maybe 15 seconds. Right? And normally it's just a text message. Now, that's okay. We're both good. We're both good with that. But when you were just that new romantic, oh, it's just like, oh, oh, you say goodnight. No, you say goodnight. Right? I mean, it it actually happens. I mean, that's crazy. It's embarrassing to talk about it. But it actually, it used to happen. Okay? It used to happen. (laughs) You say goodnight. No, you say goodnight. No, you, anyway. Right? But romantic feelings rise and romantic feelings fall. So true love really is a decision to seek your partner's best in spite of how you feel at the moment. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, is famous for a sermon 
for a lot of reasons, but he, one thing he did, he wrote a sermon from prison for his niece who was getting married. And in his, his letter to her, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but that it's, it's not love that sustains a marriage. It's marriage. It's a good marriage that will sustain love. It's a good marriage. It takes a good marriage to sustain love, not the other way around. So how do you love your now or future spouse? Ephesians chapter 5, we just read here, shows us the way to that, or part of that, is that, that just the way Jesus loved the church and sacrificed himself for her, a husband is to love his wife and lay his life down for her. Right? And, and a wife is to submit to her husband's care and protection just as the church submits to the care and protection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's a mutually submitted relationship. We submit one to the other. Now, what is all that going to mean? We'll try to unpack that a little bit. I'm just going to make a fair warning comment to those who are not yet married. If your hobby or your recreation or your friends or your work or your family, if any of those things are going to be more precious to you than giving your, your life to your spouse, guys, it means giving up your life for her. Women means submitting your life to him. If, if you're, if you're not, if those things are more precious to you than giving your life to your spouse, you're not ready to be married. Don't do it. That's fine. Just wait. Wait till you're ready to, to, to go make that kind of sacrifice. Because to love your now or future spouse, you need to be, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. You need to be selfless and other more. I don't know if that's even a word, but we, it is now. Selfless and other more. Right? Now some of you worry that, well, this whole submission and sacrifice piece just sounds so archaic. Like really, this is, we, this is 2018, right? And so you think, how, how does this even make sense? Well, loving your spouse in this way does not mean you lose your own identity, who you are, right? It does mean you submit or you surrender your plans, your preferences, your dreams, your ideals, your goals to each other, right? So we're following the example of Jesus in this, who was completely selfless. But when Jesus is Lord of your life, Together, he takes all those things, those ideals, dreams, goals, plans, and he, he allows those things to flow together into something even better. So, um, you love your partner by prioritizing yourself less and your partner more. And it can be confusing because you also need to practice good self-care, right? Didn't we... Didn't we read somewhere in the Bible that you should love your neighbor as yourself? Didn't Paul just here say, you know, you love every man loves takes care of his own body. So there's this element of self-care that we're encouraged to maintain as well in our life. So well you can do that, but let me give you an example. Let's say that you um you're in a place in your life you want to go back to school, get some education, you're going to retool and go in a new direction. You don't just show up one day and, and say to your spouse, "Hey, uh I'm doing this now." And off you go and become, you know, completely absorbed in a whole new line of work and new friends and new connections and all. You, you say that, hey, what I would really love to do is this. And it would, man, I, my desire, heart's desire would be pursue this. And if you love your spouse, you're going to say, my heart's desire is it, that I can help you pursue that. So let's do this in a way that's going to be helpful for both of us. You'd say the same thing about 
getting into a fitness plan or, 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 you know, a new hobby or activity, anything. But what you're doing is just saying, hey, I would really like to do this. Is there a way that we can make this work? Now, even if you have not met him or her yet, you love your spouse by learning to care for others more than you care about yourself. Becoming that kind of person. Did you know like a person who cares for other people is highly attractive? It's a really magnetic quality when you care about other people. And that's what you want to be. If you're, you're, if your hope is to be married one day, you want to be an attractive person. And part of that is being a selfless, caring person. And, um, you know, we're going to come back to some, some other parts of, of singleness in just a moment, but, but, um, well, if we're going to, let me just move on from this selfless or other more piece. This could be a really good Sunday afternoon conversation for some of you married couples. Hey, do you, do you see some ways I could be more selfless and more other more? Now, hopefully that's a good conversation for you this afternoon. Uh, if it's going to go kind of dark in that conversation, just take a time out and say, hey, let's continue this conversation in Pastor Stephen's office. Um, <laughs> sorry, Stephen. <laughs> right? Yes, you are so selfish. Okay, the moment that happens, okay, woo, time out. Let's carry this conversation somewhere else. Hey, do you see some ways I could be more selfless and more other more? Okay, you can work on that together. So that's our that's our our desire to be more selfless. That's one of the ways that we love our spouse. But but in marriage, in addition to that, you actually belong to each other. So my heart and my body belong to my wife Becky. <laughs> yep, all this is yours, babe. All this. <laughs> No one else gets to have me emotionally, romantically, right? My sons are so embarrassed right now. He's dying. Right? No one else gets me sexually, any of those things. Now, there are elements in, in a marriage relationship that are repeated in other relationships. Let me explain what I mean by that. My wife's my best friend, but I have other friends. I can have friends with other people. Uh, I can have dinner with my wife, but I can have dinner with my friends. There are some aspects of that that, yeah, you can have in other relationships. But there's other things like our intimacy together or deep conversations or trusted secrets. That those things are only for us because we are married to each other. It become a really dangerous thing. If you're in a place where you're kind of struggling in your relationship and you're now confiding in someone who's not your spouse about how difficult things are, or how much he drives you crazy, or what a pain in the neck she is, or blah, 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 you're going on. That's really destructive. That's that's going to go to a very bad place if you carry that on. You need to stop that, because that's not for them. Those intimate, trusted things are for one another. If you're at a place where you aren't doing well, then get some help. I, I was... I was not really joking when I said you come talk to Pastor Stephen or I or someone in your life that you trust, a counselor, another pastor. We, we love to help you with those things. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we'll read the first seven verses. It's on page 952 of the Red Bible. This is a passage that does not get read very often in church. And you'll see why in a moment. 
1 Corinthians chapter 7 says this. Now, regarding the questions you asked in your letter, because they had written Paul some bunch of questions, and now he's going to start answering them. He says, yes, it's good to live a celibate life. But because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Let me just make one brief comment there. In the time, in this kind of Roman culture, you it would be unthinkable to have that really level of equality, that you have a husband and wife who are who are equal, who have who belong to one another even physically. It, it would have been a much more kind of male-dominated scenario. So the gospel really you know, really open the path to equal relationships and equal rights and so on. Verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6, I say this as a concession, not as a command, but... I wish everyone were single just as I am. But God gives gifts the gift to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. All right, this is really important. Some of you are really surprised this is even in the Bible. Something so specific about sexual relationships, about singleness, about marriage. So um, this passage is about sex. Okay? And some of you right now think like, I don't really want to talk about this in church. And I'm telling you, you are getting many unhelpful messages from everywhere else. You're being bombarded nonstop everywhere else. So we're going to speak some truth to it here and now. So here we go. Right? A husband and a wife are to be active in sexual intimacy because God made it that way. Right? God designed your body with points of pleasure. As Paul says then, your body is not your own. You belong to each other physically, including physically. So one of the ways you love your spouse, even if you don't have one yet, is this, is to be positive about sexual intimacy. Be positive about sexual intimacy. If you're taking notes, it's one of the things you can write down. Now, let me just be clear. When we're talking, we're going to talk about some things here. Uh, one of the current buzzwords in our culture is consent. I am, I am, there is, Consent is still required in a, even in a married relationship. There's no place here for for a destructive, controlling, manipulating approach to this, okay? But the devil has really taken sex and made it taboo to talk about, especially in church. He's distorted it. He's used it to destroy people's lives by misusing it and abusing it. Without a doubt, in a room this size, there are some of you who have been the victim of uh, rape, unwanted sexual attention, uh, incest, some, some uh, kind of basically the hashtag me, me too experience, it, that's been the reality for some of you in this room. I know that for a fact. I mean, I don't know that, but I know in a, statistically that would be the case. So if that's been your story and you have just kept that buried, maybe you don't even, maybe you've suppressed it so much you don't even remember it. But if you know that and you've never gotten any help for that, I'm telling you, as long as you keep that dark, it's just going to grow like a bad mold and just destroy your life. You've got to 
reach out to someone who's equipped to be able to help you with that and bring it out into the light so that you can begin to experience freedom and forgiveness that God has for you. Okay, that that's a reality for some. But I'm talking about in the general sense, God invented the sexual union for a husband and wife as a fun and sacred glue for the bond of marriage. That's It's what he's meant. And then this is why sex before marriage or outside of marriage is so destructive. Your body belongs to the person that you will marry or that you have married. They, it, it belongs to the person that you have. You haven't even met them yet, some of you. Right? So to give the most intimate parts of yourself to someone else is robbing your spouse, now or future, of what belongs only to them. Now, you, young people, you, you may find a, a person one day who's going to become your spouse, and that day comes, you, you propose, you get already, you're going to you come to the wedding, you're going to be standing before the, the minister, and he's going to say, you know, help you say your your vows, and you say, I, I pledge to blah, 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 and do this, and, you know, for better, for worse, all that stuff. Right, and you're thinking, oh yeah, that's that's my vow to faithfulness. But you know what? That vow starts now. You don't just start keeping your vow once you're married. You start keeping your vow now. You don't know who they are yet, but you start your vow now. Your vow faithfulness by keeping sex for them only. And I know it's crazy and it's unpopular and it's countercultural and and it's challenging even, but that's how to love the spouse you haven't even met yet. Now, I also understand that um, in any setting, none of us can have a, you know, can, can really boast and completely, uh, you know, how, how do I say this? There's those of you who have already gone down this track. You've also experienced been sexually active or you experienced sexual relationships, whether you meant to, whether you were forced into it, whether you, whether you thought it was a good idea at the time and whatever. I want you to understand there's forgiveness there's grace, there's God's mercy to bring you to a place of a fresh start. But it would be so much better if you've not gone down that track to not carry that burden and that those memories and those consequences into a relationship. But that's not to say God is not so amazing in His grace and so forgiving and so abundant in His mercy. And you can be washed clean and find a fresh and pure start with Him. I want to be that very clear about that. But Paul's verses in, in uh, teaching verses 1 and 2, right, is following up what he was talking about in chapter 6 on sexual immorality. So verse 1, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, it would be good to live a celibate life because there's so much immorality, probably you should get married, is what he's basically saying. Paul himself, as he says, was single. And he found that being single, singleness afforded him immense freedom to do ministry, immense freedom to serve God. And he didn't have any concern about keeping the home fires burning. And he figured, this is really the ideal way to do this. Paul was focused on ministry. He cared for other people. But he had the flexibility to travel, go places, respond immediately as God led him to respond. He didn't have to worry too much about his finances and his, you know, all those other things. And that's awesome. And if God calls you that, go for it hard. Run after that. Pursue that. And, and... You know, there's always going to be those people say, well, shouldn't you be finding a spouse? No, no. If God's called you to this, go for it. And it's not like, it's not like just going to Walmart. Although if that's where you're going for a spouse, I can't help you. Um, Sometimes I don't even know why my brain goes to the places it goes. So look, 
Here's what's happening though. Paul recognized a natural sex drive, right? And he conceded that for some, singleness is just not going to work. And it's because sex is not an appetite to be filled like being hungry or needing sleep. If I'm hungry, I can go for pizza, I can go have sushi, I can eat, you know, top ramen at home. Doesn't matter, right? If I'm tired, I can sleep on the couch, I can nap in the chair, I can sleep on my bed, doesn't matter. But when it comes to sexual intimacy, the only place to satisfy that appetite is inside the bonds of marriage. That's how God designed it. That's what God made it for. And it's meant to be enjoyable and pleasurable inside those parameters. And so your, um, so if you're saying, I, I think I've called to be single. Awesome. But that doesn't mean that that's the only way to do that. And doesn't mean that marriage is the only way either. Let me take this just a, a little further here. Verses three and four say the husband and wife, the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fill her husband's sexual needs. You're meant to satisfy each other in that way. What it's saying is that your spouse, if you're, if you're believers, your spouse actually has the right to sexual intimacy with you. It's, it's not optional. Now, I already said we're not talking about you know, a, a forced situation or, or a, you know, a controlling or manipulative situation. But when a partner withholds sex just out of selfishness or laziness or anger or punishment or because they're just not in the mood, I, I actually believe you're violating your marriage vows. I believe you're violating your, your vows in that. Now, if something like fatigue is a problem, you, you need to figure out how to get adequate rest and, you know, um, if so that you can take care of your spouse or something like if there's health issues, if there's things that are really keeping you from being able to uh, enjoy uh, sex, then you get to a doctor, get the help that you need. So I understand that there's kind of a wider range in here, but generally we're speaking that your marital vow of faithfulness wasn't just to not do it with anyone else. Your marital vow of faithfulness includes taking care of business with your husband or wife. And we also just read the Ephesians 5 passage. This is also balanced with sacrificing your life for her, submitting your life to him. And so no one has the right to demand sex, right? That's not love, but as much as is physically possible. And understand there are seasons of life and and so I get all that. But as much as is physically possible, a spouse ought not to withhold sex. And... Something like the mood, right? It's actually a choice. It's a decision to love. Um, the mood often won't even happen until sexual intimacy has taken place because sex releases a bunch of good, happy chemicals in the brain. And uh, you might even be at a place of being upset or frustrated with your spouse. And then after sexual experience, you like feel all reconnected and love again. That's because your brain's going like, yes, I love those chemicals. Those are really good. That, that's pleasing to me. Let's do more of that, right? So that's a, kind of how God designed things to be. And the more active you are, the more natural it becomes because that's God's design for you. I know you feel like I'm kind of, kind of, I don't know, going on and on, but it's important. Sex isn't the reward for intimacy. Sex is a tool for intimacy. That's really important to understand. It's not the reward. Oh, when we're really close and we're, you know, this sense of 
even, um, so what the culture will say is, if you really love one another, if you really, you know, really, you know, feel really close, then you ought to have a sexual relationship. And that, that's a backwards way of looking at it. Scripture would take, say, if you've made a lifelong commitment to, to each other, this is part of what's the glue that's going to keep you together. So it's not a reward for intimacy. It's a tool for intimacy. So you love your spouse by having a positive attitude about sex. I read a stat um, recently, just this week. Um, it was a bit dis- disappointing or discouraging. It said that um, something like 58% of married couples are sexually active 10 times or less a year. A year. Well, that's not good. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. The less frequent it is, the, the more difficult it becomes. I hate it when, when people joke about married sex. Do you have sex? No, I'm married. I hate that. Don't, that's dumb. That's, it's insulting, right? Or when there's disdain about it. Ugh. He wants to have sex again. That's, that's rude and unloving and unkind. It, or there's selfish demands. You need to do this. Or why can't you be more like this? That's not love, right? God, God would say that good sex requires communicating your needs, your desires, your hopes, your fears, hesitations, your wounds, right? Your ideals. You need to be able to talk it all through as a couple. And like I said, if there's been trauma in your life, you've got to get help for that. Don't just pretend that it's all going to go away. You've got to get that out into the light where you can begin to get some healing and help for that. If you've got a pornography addiction, you're going to need some help to get that out in the open and process that. So that's not... Because that will drive a wedge in your relationship as well as a husband and wife. And so you need to adopt a good attitude about sex and marriage. Make yourself desirable to your spouse. There, there's a, you know, I've heard it said, make them, make them sorry to leave in the morning and eager to get home at the end of the day. That's a good thing. You don't want to be that, um, you know, that person like, oh, I don't want to go home. My wife's going to be there. My husband's going to, that's terrible. So, be attractive to one another. Be intentional about sexual intimacy. People laughed in the 930 service when I said, you might actually need couples, you might actually need to put it on your calendar. And uh, I'm just saying that because your lives are so busy and so packed full that there's something really good about anticipation and expectation like, okay, this, this, and this. It's coming up this way. Woo, right? So schedule it if you need to. Enjoy each other. Now, for the unmarried... Right? Two categories here. If you're single and you're planning to stay that way, awesome. Great. I love it. Go for it. Just know that God's design for sexual satisfaction is inside of marriage only. And if you're single and you'd like to be married one day, well, make yourself worth pursuing. We already talked about that a little bit. Take care of your body and develop your mind and your social skills and be interesting, be godly, right? And then save that sexual union for your marriage. All right. One last key we should talk about, loving your now or future spouse. And we're going to find that back in the Ephesians passage. And we'll finish up that chapter. Ephesians chapter 5, picking up at verse 31. Apostle Paul writes this. In fact, we got it on the screen. He says, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. And this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect 
her husband. If you're going to love your spouse, you need to live together as one. If you're going to love your spouse, you need to live together as one. Uh, you're not roommates. You're not financial partners. You're not parenting partners. You're one. The Bible says the two are one. Literally one flesh. And um, some of you have the extra challenge of not sh- not sharing your faith. That makes it more difficult, but you can still be unified on the same page. But I will say to those of you who are, particularly you are younger and not uh, yet married, but hope to be one day, you've got to pursue someone who's going to help you follow Jesus more. Not make that more difficult for you. Not limit your ability to follow Jesus. You let, Last week, remember we said we, we want to... Um, Establish a foundation worth building on. If you're saying, I'm a follower of Jesus, and you're pursuing someone who's not a follower of Jesus, that's like two separate, trying to build one house on two separate foundations. You can do it, but man, it's challenging. And it's perpetually difficult. And your house is always going to be shifting and cracking, and, and it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Build on the same foundation. Build from the same set of plans. Pursue the Lord together. And um, some of you are saying, well, what if the one isn't a believer? There's no such thing as the one. Let's be honest about that. I found her, so the rest of you are out of luck. You know, like, <laughs> no, for, for real. So you want to... Look for the kind of qualities that you admire, the, the kind of person you would. And that day will come and you're like, wow, I think this might be it. Okay, so I, I just really want to be clear about that. And every relationship has the goal, and we've talked about this before, either has the goal of greater connection or greater distance. So um, one time we were up at Heartland and we went for a little hike and there was a rattlesnake on the path. Do you think my relationship goal at that point with that rattlesnake was connection or distance as much distance as possible right but with my wife i want maximum connection that's that's what i want and every relationship is somewhere between on that spectrum of the kind of connection i want with my wife and the kind of connection i want with a rattlesnake every other relationship is somewhere else on that spectrum and so one of the this is this would be more fun homework this afternoon couples um is you can ask this question. Are the things we're doing creating greater distance or greater connection? So when you think about your hobbies, your finances, your parenting, um, your vacations, your careers, whatever. Are the, the ways we're living creating greater distance, greater distance or greater connection? And there's always an entropy toward greater distance. So it takes a deliberate effort to say, how do we gre- create greater connection? If you're laughing together and having fun together, uh, you're building connection. If you're worshiping here in church together as you are today, you're building connection. If you're building your spouse up, you know, avoiding put-downs, um, not using belittling comments, not pranking each other. Sometimes you, you hear about couples, you see this on YouTube, couples who will be pranking each other. That is the dumbest thing in the world. Oh, it's a good for a quick laugh. But it's really unloving and it really erodes a relationship. There's cute little moments where there's a little joke here and there. But if you're deliberately pranking your spouse, stop it. Stop it. That's a bad pattern. Okay. Um, 
All these different ways. If you're married couples, if you're regularly intimate, that's helping you build connection. I've said this a number of times today, but I'm going to repeat it to make sure this is well heard. If this, if you've been married before and you're divorced or you're remarried, and God loves you and His grace is abundant for you. If you've been in a sexual relationship before and it was, you know it was not God's design for you, God is incredibly merciful and forgiving. I want you to hear that. If you've been in a situation where you were mistreated, you were abused, molested, raped, victim of unwanted sexual events, I want you to know it's not your fault and I don't want you to live with that shame. I want you to find that freedom and forgiveness only found in Jesus. Okay? If you're in a situation where you feel like you now have the liberty to go home and demand things from your spouse, you do not. The first foundation is you love one another. Guys, you lay your life down. Women, you submit your life to him. And then from there, you say, okay, now I actually belong to you and you belong to me. How are we going to work this out? In a way that's enjoyable, pleasurable, fun, and, and enjoying that good glue that God has given for you. So you're going to live together as one, right? Not two people who just share a house. You're going to be positive about sexual intimacy. And most importantly, you're going to be selfless and other more. That's how you love your now or future spouse. Um, let's pray together. God, we're um, thankful for this remarkable gift of intimate sexual intimacy that you've granted husband and wife. Lord, I thank you for um, just uh, your deep, deep love for us. Lord, I thank you for your care and concern for those that are struggling even right now who are just feeling almost like a heavy weight, just like, ah, oh, when are we going to get this marriage thing figured out? God, I pray that you just give, bring them into some light today. And God, that you just give them some hope today. Lord, I, I thank you for those many good marriages in our midst that are showing the way of how to love one another and how to pursue you together. God, will you just bring more um, joy into those places and just elevate those things so we can see it more and more. Lord, for the person who's just feeling embarrassment and shame right now because they're past, God, would you lead them to a place of just of repentance and confession and just finding wholeness and healing in their lives because you are so good and gracious and merciful. Lord, for that person who thinks, yeah, God's grace is great, but not great enough for me. God, would you just allow them to hear your tender voice just drawing them into a deep relationship with you today. Lord, I thank you that you're so good to us. We give you our praise today. We thank you. And Lord, may our marriages be a great testimony this week to you and your work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.